It is the week before Christmas and the three RBP partners have become the ghosts of Christmas past, present and future. They're going to run you through the hot topics they've encountered this year and will lead us all into 2024. Accountancy on Prescription by RBP, one of the leading firms of medical specialist accountants. We know what you find tough, but don't you worry, as we know our stuff. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Accountancy on Prescription. I'm Katie Singer, one of the partners here at RBP, and today we've got a rather exciting episode for you all to listen to. We've decided, as this is being aired just before Christmas, that we would make this episode more of a Well, we're calling it a Christmas party, but let's be honest, this is an accountancy-based podcast. There's only so much partying we can do, but we just thought what might be a nice little treat for you all is for the three of the partners here. So that's myself and my business partner, Jenny Stone and Kate Perry. We're going to take on roles today as the Charles Dickin Ghosts of Christmas Past, Present and Future. So I'm firstly joined by my business partner, Kate. She's the Ghost of Christmas Past. Hello, Kate. Hello. Of course I am, since I'm the oldest one here. Absolutely. How are you? (laughs) Yes, very well. Thank you very much. Feeling festive? Yes. Looking forward to my ski holiday next week. Very jealous. Have you done all your Christmas shopping? (laughs) No, what do you think? Well, no. Last minute me. (laughs) I thought that. I thought that's more of the 23rd of December kind of thing for Kate. And I'm also joined by my other business partner, Jenny Stone, who is the ghost of Christmas future. Hello, Jen. Hi, Katie. How are you? Good, thank you. Have you done your shopping? Of course I have, Katie. You know me. I'm super organised. That's what makes us work as a three. (laughs) (laughs) Good. And I myself obviously will be the ghost of Christmas presents. So we're going to start first off by going back to the past, having a quick chat with Kate to find out what has gone on in accountancy this year. Right, Katie. Well, we've been and seen a lot of clients this year. And I know you and Jenny, particularly this summer, were absolutely chock-a-block with appointments. Mm. So we've looked at the accounts and we have seen a trend through most of our accounts. And just to make those of you aware out there that you probably aren't alone in having had reduced profits this year. So there were significant reasons there as to why we had the reduced profits. So firstly, of course, we're now out of COVID. So in the last two sets of accounts, we were seeing significant COVID funding. So additional funding, particularly for COVID vaccinations coming through the PCNs and some COVID claims. Yeah, we saw some huge amounts, didn't we, for COVID vaccinations? Some practices yeah. got really, really significant amounts. And of mm. course, that's just completely gone away. So hopefully with that loss of income, practices have also seen a bit of a loss of staff costs. But on the other side of that, having come out of COVID, we are aware that you practices out there have seen a significant need for doctor's appointments. And so a lot of patients hadn't been to see the doctor for a couple of years. Suddenly, everyone seemed to need to see a doctor. And what a lot of our clients did, they still had a lot of staff from COVID. They retained them. But of course, we weren't getting the extra COVID funding. They retained them to counter that need for a significant number of additional appointments to try and get to see as many patients as possible. I understand now from most of our clients that that situation has now died down. And I think PCNs are beginning to help by offering 
additional staff, such as AMPs, to try and counter that problem of lack of appointments. But I did speak to a client just yesterday, in fact, saying it might be that they need to introduce new appointments, but they actually haven't got the space. Mm. So we are also going to see, and I don't think we'll move away from it now, we're seeing doctors doing online calls with patients. So they actually said they would have to move a doctor to do online calls so that they had space in the surgery for another doctor to see face-to-face patients. So we have got, as well as a lack of doctors, we've also to a certain degree, got a lack of space as well. I think, Jen, you'll agree that it's patient demand this year has been yes. through the roof. And that's interesting that you say it's dying down. But only only very slightly now, I think. I don't think I've seen any client that said that yet. I think everybody is saying demand is through the roof. And some of the conversations I've had, because like you've said, Kay, you know, locum costs have been so significant. I've been to see some practices and they've been sort of like so shocked by how much they've spent on locums. And of course, there's no extra money. And it is sort of, you know, we end up having these conversations. One of my clients said to me, they said, we're being paid to provide a brass plated service. So that's what we should be. We should be providing. Well, I do do say to some of my clients, and unfortunately, I know you would like to and have in the past offered a Rolls-Royce service, but unfortunately, doctors aren't being paid to to offer that anymore. And so they've got to work it out as best they can to try and service as many patients as they can and hopefully minimise the complaints. Because I know that also there have been more complaints coming through, really through no fault of the doctors, just because... They can't see, they haven't got the appointment time to capacity really to see patients. But what we've seen happen is that, as you say, they've thrown money at locums without properly looking at their actual situation. So we are trying to suggest to practices that they look at a way of working smarter rather than harder. Don't just throw locums at the problem. Try and reorganize your staff plan things in different ways. I know some of my clients have done a different way of getting patients to make appointments online. I know everybody's now trying to go online. I know my practice, you can't actually book an appointment now on the phone at all. That's my personal practice that I go to. And so it's looking at ways of trying to manage it and trying to manage patients by offering them appointments with other professionals, medical professionals, other than doctors. So if an AMP can see somebody, we do know, of course, there's a lot of kickback from patients because they actually want to see a doctor. But sometimes, as we all know, that's not necessarily appropriate. And there are other medical professionals that they can see. So it's, it's trying to reorganize the whole way of working to try and see as many patients as possible. I'm sure you'll both agree. My most efficient practices that I see, they're the ones who have really trained, not obviously just their clinical staff, but their administrative staff to almost total triage the patients when they call up. And Kate, you're absolutely right. I've got practices where they're quite strict with their patients and they will say, no, you're not seeing a doctor for this query. You know, you're going to a nurse, or you're going to an advanced nurse, or you're going to a paramedic, or you're going to whoever you're going to, which relieves the pressure off all the additional staff they have. And then they don't need locums as much. 
Yeah, and it's been interesting because a few practices I've been to see recently in different areas have gone, oh yeah, apparently locum work's drying up. And I said, well, I think that's probably because practices have had their accounts, seen their drop in income and locums is always the quick saving that they can make. I was quite surprised because it's different and it's been different areas I've been to and different practices have sort of said to me more recently, oh yeah, well, some of our locums are struggling to find work, which I was really shocked about. (laughs) Some of my practices said, oh, Next year, we've reduced our locums to to next to nothing because I think they took their eye off the ball, realised that it was a big problem, and now they've gone completely the other way. And that's yes. probably why your client's saying, well, the locums can't find work because they've really drawn in and aren't going to recruit locums at all if they can avoid it. So thinking of the accounts that we've just been to see, the other thing that was particularly noticeable I found this year is with regard to the flu payment. So Mm. I know that we had a lot of, I think most practices will have seen what they're calling vaccination fatigue. So people refusing to take the flu vaccine. They felt they're so full up with COVID jabs, they didn't want the flu one. And also, again, we've got the pharmacists coming in and and nabbing all the patients and Mm. getting patients to get their flu jabs there. So we have had that problem. And what came along with that issue is that practices still unfortunately I still had quite a few who unfortunately overordered yes. and we know that the drug companies will only allow a return of 10% and therefore some of our clients I think have ended up throwing away drugs so that's another unfortunate situation and again it's trying to plan your flu obviously we've gone through the flu campaign now and of fact, I think everyone had to jab everyone by the end of October in order to get the payment. But it is worth doing a very good plan and system in September to try and plan who you think is going to come in. And obviously, any view of the future, your historical situation is always the best place to plan what's going to come ahead. So we would certainly recommend that. And the other thing is, talking of drugs, We saw also, and I don't know whether you did, either lack of claims or late claims from the PPA. So I know that there's a lot of difficulty in making sure that your PPA claims are correct, up-to-date and accurate. And we have recently done a podcast, I think, with Mm. a firm called Ash Lane. So any clients who haven't come across this name before, Ash Lane are a specialist PPA claiming firm and we have done a podcast and there is a webinar as well that they've done to help anyone who feels that they are not really on top of their drug claims. So that was another couple of areas. One thing that the NHS are quite good at is they will let you go back and do a back claim. So if you have had, yeah, if you've had a shortfall for a few years and, you know, myself or Kate or Jenny or even your own accountants have said, you're making a rather big loss on your drugs every year. You can go back for seven years and try and recoup some of that money. And like you said, Kate, just planning for next year, all of those practices, they're all going to be ordering a lot less flu. You know, I even had a couple away. of practices saying to me they were considering whether they were even going to do flu mm. because of the loss. But yeah, I mean, I agree with you, Kate, that that loss on flu as well has contributed to sort of a drop in profits. Yeah, that's been another sort of Another factor, hasn't it, this year? (laughs) I I have heard, though, because I think they have to book their flu. I think, actually, practices are probably already booked 
Mm. So they'll have done all that for next year. Mm. And one of my clients wanted to drop their purchases down quite significantly. And the drug company had a problem with that. So they really had to fight to take that reduction because there was some, I don't know whether there's some sort of contract they've signed up to ongoing flu. But yeah, so that's something. So if you haven't reduced your flu, you probably... Yeah, need to be thinking about it and maybe reducing it slowly over time if there is an issue with the supplier. The other thing, and I think Katie, you mentioned it, was I think during COVID, and it does seem to have varied area to area because during COVID, people had sort of protected payment. And so payments were based on an earlier year. Mm. And now we're moving out of that and we are seeing practices being paid on actual basis. But the timing of when they came out of the fixed scheme into the more actual basis, I think, varied area to area. So that's another thing. So you do need to be watching exactly what your productivity is with regard to claims. Yeah, I always describe some of my clients as COVID winners or COVID losers. So this is taking us really far back into the past. But I think it was quarter four, 2019-20, which is when COVID basically hit, a lot of practices were fixed on what they achieved in the quarter before, which is October, November, December. Mm -hmm. So a lot of practices, they haven't quite hit the crazy period leading up to quaff, and they were able to achieve a high amount in that quarter. And of course, if you get fixed on that quarter and it's really high and you got, I think they got it for about two years. Yeah. So you're going to be a winner. Whereas if it was a low quarter or you just didn't claim that month for whatever reason, some practices just aren't as organized, you were a loser because you didn't get anything for a few years. So it's been a really, it was a bit of an odd time, but no, we're, we're off the back of that now and everything's activity well, based. So just reminded me, I had a client who had a significant clawback because I think for one area, they were using the 1819 figures, oh. where the figures were completely different, and they got overpaid. So mm. one of my clients had a really significant clawback, which is actually being spread over three quarters. So there may be quite a few practices who I think were caught out with that one, because they were overpaid on a fixed amount that was worked out on a earlier year when the figures were completely different. So it happened, in, it swung in both ways. So they were unfortunate they got a clawback, but other practices might actually go the other way and actually have improved on, on their historical performance. Yeah, um, yeah. So the final thing I was going to mention is the backdating of the global sum. Mm. So as we know, so it's sort of present actually to a certain degree because it's current now, but yes. the 6% pay review, as we know, the global sum was uplifted to include a calculation that is supposed to compensate practices to allow them to pay 6% increase for their staff. We have seen that in the November, and I think there was an issue because it had no title against it, but there were two single payments of equal amount received on the November statement. And those two figures are actually your backdated on the global sum going back to, I think they've done an adjustment now, but I, I did see some that didn't have a uh, yeah, but what they did is they went in and they've like rejigged it. So now if you go in, you can actually see what it is. So it's it's yes. thankfully quite clear now. Actually, something that just popped into my head when you were mentioning about the global sum uplift, off the back of your comment about locums, when it was announced that there was a 6% pay uplift obviously salary doctors and staff were just sitting around hoping and waiting locums i'm told increased their rates almost immediately oh wow so for the last year or well, since april 
really a lot of locums had already put their fees up by a significant amount. So you'll, you'll notice that if you are using locums this current financial year, you might notice their rates are higher proportionately than the salaried GPs because their pay rises, we sort of didn't know what was happening with them. Well, and we did do that schedule as well for a lot of our clients to see the impact, try and work mm. out the impact on our clients. So I haven't looked at that recently. I don't know what it's sort of the general average. Is still it, looking at 56, 57. Yeah, it was still about, yeah. I think when we looked at the average, so this is looking at what they're saying is that the funding in the global sum is based on your staff cost being 44% of your global sum funding. And I think that when we looked at practices, and we've got quite a lot of practices on there, I think the average is about 57%. Mm. But there's some real high ones. You know, there's some practices that are spending sort of 70% global sum on their staff costs. So that's that 6% funding is not going to be enough to cover it. No, and they're referring to a previous podcast that we did. I think it was three or four episodes before the release of this one. Yeah, we did one about the 6% uplift. So that's definitely worth a listen. And I reckon that leads us nicely into the present with me, the ghost of Christmas present. Ooh, I didn't do a ghost noise (laughs) at the beginning. I probably should have done. I was going to say, don't get me doing an impression. (laughs) (laughs) I've got children, so I'm used to doing silly noises all the time. So I thought the most prominent for me issue at the moment is the declaration of earnings, which is on the tip of everyone's mind. You know, the previous podcast, this or two podcasts ago was just a re-release. I have had a few questions. Did you record this recently? It was a re-release because most of the content was exactly the same. But this obligation for GPs to declare if you're earning over, it's currently 156,000 has reared its ugly head. Many of you have been in touch already, but those of you in practice will know you've been sent a document that you need to complete, quite a lengthy document. But there are two questions the EDEC, there are two questions on there that are really throwing people as to whether you declare yes or no or not applicable. So in a nutshell, if you have declared that you have earned over 156,000 and you have actually complied with the declaration, you say yes. If you haven't and you say no, you are just opening yourself up to be, I'm guessing, questioned because you are literally telling them I should have complied, but I have not. So that's why we have generally recommended you don't select no, but instead you select not applicable. So not applicable is obviously not applicable for those who are under 156,000. Those who are over 156,000, of course, me saying this, uh, just waiting for evil glares to come from the ghost of Christmas (laughs) past and future, is technically meaning you are going to be in breach of your contract. However, We stand by the fact that we believe that there is a significant safety issue for GPs, especially those who are not just earning 156,000, but are earning over or significantly over. And we do believe that by having your name, your place of work and your amount of earnings declared in a national publication, which will, of course, be picked up by other national publications, which we all know who they are, is not in the benefit of your patients. And therefore, I hope I'm not stepping on toes when I say that we would recommend that you just select NA if in doubt or if you don't feel comfortable declaring. And it's Uh, recommended that you actually send an email to NHS England according to the BMA recommended what, what you actually sent. There's a copy and paste, isn't it? You can just lift it. And and some local LMCs did the same. Yes. And I think they're all in agreement with us. It's not benefiting anybody. It's not benefiting patients. And it's certainly not benefiting the GPs themselves 
or really the British public. I'm not sure why anybody needs to know exactly what you're earning to be able to access the NHS medical service. So that's something which has sort of been a bit contentious this year. And like I say, we've had previous podcasts on it, so do take a listen. But if you are in doubt and you're not sure, do get in touch with one of us and we will walk you through why we don't think you should be doing it. And if you do need your figures, they can be found on your superan certificate or if you're unsure, just get in touch. The other thing that came up this year or that that, that we're currently living through, I don't think there's been any more update, is the seniority clawbacks or seniority payments. Again, a previous podcast that Jen and I did a couple of episodes back, we found out that NHS England were doing a review of historic seniority. And Jen and I, in our discussion, discovered that there were some practices who were going to be receiving money in for historic seniority adjustments and some practices who are going to be having money clawed back. Generally, they will be clawed backs, but in some circumstances, if you were only paid 60% and you should have had the 100% or it just wasn't a high enough figure, there will be some monies being credited. We were under the impression that this was going to be going through in November 2023. Nothing occurred. Too busy getting the backdated global sum figures through. I think they did decide to hold fire yes, on they it did. because they weren't sure that they could legally go back. And there, there was, I think they're having to investigate the legality of what they can claw back and how many years back they can go. So and that's why it got put. So it's yes, put on the back hold. It will, it will come through again at yeah. some point once they've got some legal answers. The original reconciliation they said was 1718 onwards. Yes. So 1718 all the way through to 2021, I think it was, or 2019, 1920. Yeah, 2019, 20. So those years I think would be okay because they fall within the statute limit of statutory limitations yeah. act or whichever whatever it Although is. Although the government doesn't really have to abide by, no, it's by true. those rules. So it's true. But there's still implications as to whether they can still do it. But for those of you who have got accounts with provisions in place to say you're in a practice and you know you had a partner leave, Dr. Jones, and when Dr. Jones left, they continue to pay his seniority. We as your accountants would have said, look, this isn't Dr. Jones's money. This also isn't really your money. It's an error. We're going to hold it on your balance sheet. And at some point in time, it will be clawed back. So these are the clawbacks we're referring to. So it may be that every year, myself, Kate, Jen, we come to your meetings and we say, we've still got this money for Dr. Jones on your balance sheet. We may have in recent years written them off. What that means is just put the money back to the practice. We did that in cases where they were very small. We had few that were, you know, less than a hundred pounds, for example. But I know I've got one which is about eight or nine thousand pounds. And once this announcement was made, I thought, ah, well, I won't be writing that one back because it's very likely they'll be clawing it. Maybe not all of it, but they will claw most of it back. So yeah, there will be no write-offs from RBP for a while, I don't think. Well, to be honest, Katie, what I think they were aiming to claw back is this difference where you got paid 100% when you were only eligible for 60%. Because the reason for the significant delay is it's taken them this long to come up with the average because it was all to do with mm. the average income. You had to earn two-thirds, over two-thirds of the average income to get your 100%. And it's those clawbacks that they were looking at. What I'm not so sure about is whether they're going to pick up those overpayments when a partner left and they continued to, to pay the seniority. I don't know whether it was all going to get wrapped up in the same sort of review. So we'll have to wait and see on that. Yeah, and if it happens. 
Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Another thing really that was quite prominent this year, or prominent for me anyway, well, I guess has been for a couple of years, but more so this year, were just general delays in reconciliations. So I had a number of practices who didn't even get their quaff reconciliation in June. It is always achieved. Your achievement payment is always paid on your June statement. This year, I had practices as late as September being paid their quaff with lots of adjustments taking place afterwards. I'm not sure what took place at NHS England's side or CQRS's side, but there were clearly some issues. We know, you know, dating back to the to the glory days of old, the PCTs, you always had your quarterly reconciliation or your year-end reconciliations done and dusted by June. Jen and I know we see so many of our clients in June and July because they're in the habit of always having their final payments ready to go by those months. This year, I mean, Jen, you'll agree, we yeah. saw so many practices across the summer months, even as late as September and October, who said to me, oh, Katie, I mean, we haven't had our NIS reconciliation yet, or we haven't had our PCM yeah. balances out yet. I had one practice who hadn't had their R's payment for the entire year when oh, I went gosh, to see them. Oh, gosh, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> yes. And we are talking a six-figure number that they were waiting to be paid back to them. So during the whole year, they they paid out to these members. You know, obviously, these staff are on their payroll. They waited for the reimbursement from the PCN. I don't know whether it was just organizational errors at the PCN, but ultimately, this is having a major impact on general practices cash flow. Yeah. yeah, I agree with you, Katie. I, I mean, I went to see a practice in the summer, in July, actually, and we've done most of their accounts and we still have not finalised them because they were waiting on their final local enhanced service reconciliation, which is actually quite a considerable amount of money. And they had a partner leaving and they wanted to wait. So what's also really difficult, I don't know about how you find, is you go to a meeting with a set of accounts and actually... If you bring all of that money in, all the right figures, it could mean the figures are completely different. Mm. And a lot of practices have said to me, cash flow has been a real problem where PCNs have been holding on to money a lot longer and just the timing of when money's coming in. And I've had conversations with practices about partners leaving in more working capital because of cash flow issues. Mm. Which is getting harder and harder as profits are decreasing. Yes, yes. And so to keep more working capital in as your income is going down is a big ask, I think, yeah, doctors absolutely. have to do. So the other thing hitting cash flow, of course, are these back claims on superannuation shortfalls. But I don't know whether you're going to touch on that going forward when we look at next year for yeah. superannuation. So Under change of basis, we'll, we'll definitely bring that up. And then my final comment, I guess, about being in the present is you're listening to this just before Christmas. So whilst I know, don't want to dampen anyone's, just a reminder that in a month, your tax bills for January are due by the 31st of January. So if you have not done your tax return or sent in your information to do your tax return, I mean, if you're listening to this and you haven't done it, I'm very angry. But please, <laughs> this present is supposed to be the nice one as well, which is a shame. But, um, <laughs> but please make sure you do it. And if you have sent in your information at RBP, we've sent you your tax returns back. Please do review it and check it and ensure that you or your practice have got the funds set aside ready to cover your January tax payment. Taxman does not like individuals who miss their tax payment, although, and again, the two of you might agree with me here, this has been a year where I've seen more time to pay arrangements than 
ever. Mm. Where we've had, and this is a bit more significant for those of you who have a non-March year end, but where we have had falls in profits this year and much higher profits during COVID, it has led to a bit of a bubble where there's some quite high tax bills coming for a lot of you this January when you're probably not feeling it because your actual profits and cash flow has depleted. So just make sure you've got the monies available. And if you don't, HMRC will allow you to make a time to pay arrangement whereby you pay them off over a you know a period of time instead of paying it all in one lump sum by the 31st of January. And the only thing I'd add, Katie, is that obviously if you can't pay your tax by the 31st of Jan, is that interest will be charged. And mm. HMRC are charging, I think, about 7.6% interest. So you do really want to pay your tax on time. Although a bit of good news is that maybe if your profits have gone down, I think when I've been going to meetings and we've been talking about dropping profits, the good news is that quite a lot of people have had tax refunds. So there was kind of a little bit of good, good news to a drop in profits. Very, very rare. But yeah, some good news from the world of accountancy. (laughs) And I guess that leads us into the ghost of Christmas future, Jenny Stone. Hello. (laughs) Hello, Katie. (laughs) I'm sorry, no ghost impressions for me, even though I do have uh, an eight-year-old. I don't do them anymore. So what am I going to cover? I feel like next year is going to be quite a big year. I don't know Mm. whether it's a big year for clients or a big year for us. We've certainly got quite a few challenges on our hands for next year. A very kind of future, present, issue just a reminder of is that national insurance is going to be decreasing. So a little bit of good news. I'm holding on to the good news. Yes. So it's really strange to the budget because what they've said is from the 6th of January, employees national insurance is going to drop from 12% to 10%. So that will kind of take effect after Christmas and hopefully help staff to give them sort of a little bit of a boost in their pay packet. There's also changes for self-employed. So obviously if your partner's local then there is a a change, but that change comes in from the 6th of April 24, and they are abolishing Class 2 national insurance. So this actually got added onto your tax return. It was about £3.45 per week. So they're abolishing that. And also the Class 4 NI rate that you pay on profits up to 50000 is reducing from 9% to 8%. So although there's a bit of good news with that, I am kind of trying to remind my clients as well that the 45% tax bracket kicks in a lot mm. sooner in 23-24. So whereas you had to earn over 150000 to pay 45% tax for 23-24, that is dropping down to 124000 So that will kind of kick in when we start doing tax returns for 23-24 next year. Some other sort of big things that are happening next year and why we kind of go, it's going to be a year for us. I'm going to start with change of basis. So we've recorded, again, you know, we've recorded a podcast. This change of basis only affects non-March year end. So those people that are unincorporated accounts who do accounts maybe to June, September, December. And I know for us, if you're an RBP client, we've been talking to you about this for the last two years. Your account in year end will move to the 31st of March 24. And as a result, you're going to have catch up a tax to pay. So we've been talking to you all to explain that 23, 24 is the transition year, the catch-up of tax, you can actually choose to spread this over five years. And I know if you are clients of ours, we've been bringing projections for you. We've been giving you kind of estimates of what we think that increased tax will be. What I always stress to my clients is, 
although we might have done your September 23 accounts and we know what those profits are, we still don't know what your profits are going to be to March 24. So we are trying to provide you as best estimates as we can. Because like you've said, you know, it's really difficult when income is falling and you've got those bigger tax bills to pay. I think... Although I know we're dreading change of basis because it means, you know, the downside of being a medical specialist is that all our clients are going to have to be a March year end and and how on earth are we going to get all this work done? So it's a big thing for us. We're making changes within our practice. And I know we've also been in touch with some of our clients about some of the changes that we're going to make. But I suppose from your point of view is just be prepared that January 25, if you are non-March year-end, you're likely to have bigger catch-up of tax as a result of sort of this change of basis. And I think as we start coming out to see you with the March accounts, we'll be having discussions about, do you take the hit in one go or do you spread it over five years? What I would say as well, so as Jen said, we've been in touch with you about changing the way we work. I think, especially if you're a non-March year-end, you've almost had a bit of a luxury that you could not leave things a bit late, but you didn't need to be potentially as organized with your records. But going forward, especially with the government, this is a future point, I guess, wanting everybody to move to making tax digital and to do potentially quarterly tax returns, it's more important now than ever to make sure your accounting records are done regularly. Make sure you're entering your information onto your iris or your zero. I don't mean daily, but monthly at least. I think monthly at the minimum it should be so that if any moment in time you know where you are at that month end, then when it comes to your year-end financial accounts, which next year, as Jenny just said, it's going to be very tight to get every well, not everybody, but if you're going to want to be seen within a reasonable time frame after the year end and not leave it until the January, which a lot of our clients, unfortunately, where they're less organized, they don't end up seeing us until the last week in January, which isn't great for us, but it's not great for you because it gives us a few days to advise you what your tax bills are, which doesn't help anybody. So just please, if you take anything away, it is try and just be a bit more organized with your records and have everything up to date. It is in your interest. Yes, of course, it suits us, but it is ultimately in your interest to be that organized. Definitely. And I think also for other reasons, I was with a practice last week, week before, and they had spent a significant amount, much higher amount on locums. And actually, I think their records get done once a year, but actually Mm. if they've been done monthly and they could actually start to see and get a feel for what they were spending on locums, they could have made changes a lot sooner to kind of reduce those costs. And their profits just plummeted because their locum costs, like you said, Kate, you know, they were out of control. And I'm having more conversations with practices that they want stuff. They want to be able to see stuff. They want to do budgets. They need to kind of know that, you know, income's coming in and are they being able to control expenses? Mm. Well, I think we've always promoted for a few years now, zero. Mm-hmm. And I think zero is a good system because it is linked to the bank. So the bank will throw all your figures into the accounting software. So it is making life much simpler to try and keep up to date and look at doing monthly reconciliations if you have the zero system. And also, if you are wanting to keep an eye on certain costs, so like locums, you can put that on your dashboard so that as soon as you go into the system, it sort of stares you in the face and you can double check that, you know, if in your head you're expecting to spend a certain amount per month, you can see whether you're maintaining your budgeted figure. Absolutely, Kate. The next big thing for next year is the McLeod Remedy. 
And I'm always quite shocked because I feel like we've been talking about McLeod for ages, but I'm always quite shocked when I go to practice and I start talking about it and some people still don't know what I'm talking about. And I'm trying to like focus on the on the good news stuff because it's Christmas. I think this is potentially a good thing. So just to explain what the McLeod remedy is, is that in 2015, the NHS pensions brought in the new kind of the 2015 scheme and you moved over dependent on your date of birth. And then obviously some older GPs got to remain in the 1995 pension scheme. And obviously the 95 section of the pension scheme retirement age is 60. And then obviously in the 2015 retirement age is linked to state pension age. So starting at sort of 67. So there was a whole case, a court case that got taken, which is why it was taken by I think a judge called McLeod, which is why it's referred to as McLeod remedy. And they said that this is all age discrimination and actually they won their case. And so the outcome of that remedy is that everybody's pension benefits from the 1st of April 15 to 31st of March 22 will roll back to the original scheme they were in. So what they call as their legacy scheme. So if you were in the 95 scheme, then all your pension benefits from April 15 to March 22 will roll back to your 1995 scheme. And when I talk this through with clients, clients are normally happy because that means you've got seven years of pension benefits that you can actually get at 60 rather than waiting to 67. However, if when you come to retire, if you are going to be working to 67, then you at the time you retire, you can then choose to have those seven years moved back over into the 15 scheme. So this McLeod remedy we've talked about and it's been around, but there's a piece of work that's going to have to happen. So NHS pensions have been working on sort of getting their systems in place to deal with this remedy. And what it means is those seven years that roll back is as you know, when we do tax returns, you have to look and see whether you have exceeded the annual allowance for pensions purposes, and then you have a tax charge. Now, all of those seven years of annual allowance will need to be recalculated because the accrual rate in the 95 section or the 2008 section is different to 15. So there is going to be a piece of work. Again, that's going to fall on accountants to deal with, which is why we talk about we're dreading next year because we have change of basis and McLean to deal with. So if there's going to be a piece of work where NHS pensions will issue to everybody what they are calling a remedy annual allowance statement, which will give your data from April 15 to right actually up until March 23. And then there will have to be a submission to HMRC. I think it's, it's going to be a digital submission where you'll have to submit the data for the last seven years. So I think this statement is going to give you what your original annual allowance was and what the revised figure was. So that is a piece of work that's going to be done. Most of our clients do scheme pay elections. We don't know yet whether we're going to have to submit individual forms for each year or whether NHS pensions will release a digital tool. Kate and I were at a conference just recently and um, NHS pensions were supposed to be joined. At the last minute, they, they didn't turn up. And I'm sure that's because they can't answer any of these questions yet. Apparently, NHS pensions are going to send remedy statements in September, October next year. And then we have until January 25 to get all of that information filed. I know when Kate and I were at this conference and IFA we were chatting to said, I'm sure the deadline will move. We don't know. We're still waiting on information. I think what's really scary for me is 
I see so many clients where their pension record is still mm. incomplete. There's still issues with PCSE. So how on earth are they going to get a remedy statement that is going to give them their seven years information to submit and file to HMRC within, you know, within a year, basically. So that's a big thing. What I would say if your clients have RBP is we will obviously keep you updated, whether that's via podcast, email, as and when, you know, we need you to get us information. So do be aware of it because if you did move over, it does pretty much affect most people, you know, if you moved over into the 15 scheme. And as much as they are driving us mad, and I'm sure you mad, a lot of you will be receiving lots and lots of superannuation queries coming directly from PCSE saying your certificate doesn't match or this figure is incorrect or you need to resubmit this document. Just keep forwarding them to us. They are a frustration. I appreciate it. And there is a lot of back and forth. But until all of those records are submitted and okayed, I guess, by NHS pensions, they're going to struggle to be able to issue this statement. That's right. And that's what I was referring to earlier Mm. in that if there are years that haven't been reconciled, I'm aware of certainly quite a few of my clients who have several years of unpaid shortfalls. And the problem that we're seeing is that these shortfalls can be quite significant. But once PCSE do the reconciliation, they take the shortfall and there is no notice, advance notice, they're going to take it. They don't seem to recognize that with smaller practices, you know, anything over 50 or anything over 20,000 pounds probably is a sudden unannounced deduction from your monthly statement can cause significant cash flow problems. So I am aware that some clients, when they've done that, if it has been really significant, they have been able to contact PCSE and ask for all of it to be refunded and then taken in stages. However, there is a bit of an issue if you ask for that to happen. They only seem to be happy to do that sort of setup once. And they sort of worry that once you've done it once, you shouldn't have to do it again. But obviously, you've got several years of significant shortfalls. Because the other thing that everyone needs to ensure they do, and I'm still getting clients who don't seem to know about it, is do the estimate of pensionable pay. I saw a client yesterday and they hadn't adjusted their estimate pensionable pay. They are several years out of date. But unfortunately, the estimate of pensionable pay was too high. So they've been well overcharged for their contributions. They're due significant refunds. But because their pension is such a mess, they're not likely to get that refund. And it was the last two years have been significant for quite some time because I think PCSE will be trying to sort out the earlier years. So it is quite important that the estimate of pensionable pay forms are done along with your certificates at the end of February. And remember that you need to include your salary GP expected salaries that they will be earning from the 1st of April, the following April. And we can provide the partners figures. We give those on the drawings projections. So future, I think another sort of discussion really is is what is going to be the future of PCNs because obviously PCNs, in theory, the the five-year deal comes to an end in 23-24. I think us and a lot of staff would be like, 
please do away with PCNs because they make the accounting in practices can be a bit of a nightmare just where practices receive money and, you know, making sure that we get, you know, what is practice income, what is PCN income. And I've got, you know, I've got practices that have left PCNs because they've fallen out. You know, I've had clients say to me, oh, Jenny, they're going to go and it will all go in the global sum. I I really don't think PCNs are going to go. I think a lot has been put in to recruit staff and to share staff. I can't see they're going to disappear. You know, we've got PCNs that are now incorporating, but I don't know. I mean, I know a few of my clients who would would love them to disappear and a few of our staff would love them to disappear, but I, I, I think they're here to stay. I think... You know, there's been this whole big push that they want to, NHS England want to be dealing with bigger organisations. You know, I've got PCN that I'm dealing with that, I can't remember how many practices they are, but I think slowly they're they're sort of working to the idea that they may all just merge and become one GP practice and then one PCN. And I wonder whether, I think that's what probably NHS England hope for. I think the reality of it is it's really difficult GPs all working together. So yeah, do we think they're going to go? I doubt it. So we've just got to really wait and see. You know, there's lots of talk to say, you know, the contract we've had, the GP contract, I mean, I... GP contract came in just as I became a partner. So that's been, what, 20 years ago. You know, are we going to get a a new contract? Because again, that five-year deal comes to an end. I think probably it will just roll over. I'm not convinced that we'll get a new contract unless we have, obviously, a change in government. I don't know. I don't know what you girls think about PCNs in the future. I certainly don't think the PCNs, I mean, I'm with you, Jen. I think they bring with them a lot of problems, but because of the level of ours funding that is going through PCNs, that it, it's such a significant amount of money. There's no way PCNs could just be unwound or scrapped because we're talking about the employment of tens of thousands of people. And where is that funding going to go? Where are their jobs going to go? Because realistically, the whole point of the R's is that they're shared between practices. So you might have a practice who has, I don't know, the care coordinator for half a day a week. Well, they're probably not going to employ that care coordinator for half a day a week it would just be that they would just lose that service for their patients. And so instead, that care coordinator may lose their job. And so it just it just wouldn't be, it, I just don't see it being the case. That funding yeah. will just remain as ours. It is interesting, though, when we look at our PCNs, we've got some that are really mega efficient, yeah. offering lots of services to their member practices. And then we've got other ones, often with a range of different types of practices as members. So maybe a couple of large ones, two or three middle-sized ones, a couple of small ones, and they're the ones who perhaps don't work well together. So I have got a practice who I think is going to merge and they will then pull out of their PCN and they will become their own PCN because they're going to have about 30,000 patients and therefore, you know, it's all one and the same. And I think we will possibly see more of that. Yes. And we are beginning to see the reduction in smaller practices, aren't we? I mean, you were mm. today, Jenny, saying that you had had three who had been forced to sort of join together because yes. they're too small. And I've actually got a client also in a health centre where there are two other small practices and they are looking to merge together. So we are going to see these very small practices gradually completely disappearing. And I think the PCNs are going to sort of lead the way in doing that. Mm. 
And I think we wanted to make sure we didn't end it on <laughs> doom and gloom when we talked about the future of general practice. So we'll probably have to just leave it there because if we start, the three of us start <laughs> gabbling on about what we actually think the face of general practice is going to lead to, I think it can get to be quite a miserable conversation. But look, no, we're just going to stay positive. The future general practices, the NHS is going to have loads more money. There's going to be loads more doctors. It's all going to be happy days. That will be. Oh, well, Kate, Kate, Kate's daughter is there currently go. That's the in Christmas training. Wish. That's yes. the Christmas wish. Yeah, and, there we go. And she may indeed become a GP, having said no, she wouldn't be a GP. So, so at least we've got one. <laughs> one GP one. for the future. So I just thought, as soon as it was a festive podcast, I would get you really classic Christmas cracker joke. Oh, go on, Katie. And us three old biddies. Here we go. Why can't Christmas trees knit? Oh. I don't know, Katie. Why can't Christmas trees Because they're knit? forever losing their needles. Oh! <laughs> I thought that was a good one. That is a really good one. <laughs> I thought that was a good one. I thought some of the really funny jokes were a bit too blue for the podcast. So I thought I've got to get a good, clean, fun one. And I thought that one was, I, like I that enjoyed one. that one. I actually yeah. do like that one. Oh, well, I guess that just leaves us all to say we wish you all a happy holidays, festive period. And wishing you all a happy new year. And we look forward to catching up with you all in the new year. We've got lots of podcasts coming up. I know that they've been going down really well and that you've all been really enjoying listening to them. And thank you so much for those of you who contact us with feedback. It's really appreciated. And sometimes people will actually message in with suggestions of topics they'd like to be covered. Feel free to do that because that's great. If you've got something you'd really like us to talk about, we will gladly mic up and, and get on the chat for you. So please, please do. And if you do like this podcast, please do make sure you like and subscribe. And we look forward to seeing you all in 2024. Bye. 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 You have been listening to RBP's Accountancy on Prescription podcast. For any updates, please visit www.rbp.co.uk or follow us on Twitter at RBPCA. The contents of this podcast is for general guidance and informational purposes only and does not constitute any form of advice. The information provided by RBP is of a general nature. Appropriate and tailored advice or independent research should be obtained before making any decisions. RBP does not accept any liability for any loss or damage which is incurred from you acting or not acting as a result of listening to Accountancy on Prescription.